Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello, welcome to another Wessex LMCs webinar. My name's Andy Perbrick. I'm one of the medical directors here at Wessex LMCs and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Gareth Bryant, to talk around retirement uh, and pensions. Uh, Gareth's living the dream at the moment, planning to retire in the next couple of weeks. So we thought it was an opportune moment to pick his brains. Uh, he's a very organized person uh, and what he doesn't know probably isn't worth knowing. So Gareth, uh, thanks for joining us. Can you start off just by telling us um, what sort of planning you've done for your retirement and when you started? Yeah, thanks Andy. And um, just to caveat this right at the beginning, this obviously can't be financial advice, isn't financial advice, because I'm, I'm not a financial advisor and wouldn't pretend to be or want to be a financial advisor. But, but as you said, I'm kind of uh, uh, living this at the moment in real time. So it's quite, I think it's quite an interesting one to have a conversation about. Um, so yeah, when do you start replying? I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't think there's, you can ever start it too soon. Really, I think you've got to you you've got to stay on top of it. You've got to have some some thoughts about when you want when you might want to retire. I mean, obviously, everyone's circumstances are very different, um, and you need to plan. So, I can't really answer that question about when when I actually started to 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 think about it actively because I guess it's it's been one of those things that's always been in the back of my mind. Um, and making sure that I followed the pension changes as they happened to make sure I took the right decisions at, 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 the, at the time. And we'll, we, we can come on to some more detail about that. So my, my general thoughts of that would be it's never, never too early. And like all of these things, if you start early and maintain things, you tend to do better at the end rather than leaving it all to the last minute. So... I think the important questions are the first one is what, what do you think you might need? Um, and certainly my experience from talking to lots of people who've retired is that, is that most people come to the conclusion they need less than they thought they did. Um, and that, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I will be intrigued to see whether that's true or not, but, but that's, that's certainly the, what I've heard from a lot of people and it, and it, and it's what lifestyle you want. You know, mm. Are you, do you really want that, that, uh, flash car every three years do you really want you know how, how much traveling do you want to do what do you want to live in the same house what assets have you got now um, what what liabilities have you got now and what liabilities will you have um, on retirement um, I mean obviously we're in a very fortunate position for those of us listening who have got an NHS pension because it's generally still a, a really really good scheme which gives us a capital sum so um, you've got to think all of those things through. Um, and the other important thing I learned from my financial advisor, um, and I, we can talk a little bit about that in more, some more detail, was about the fact that your need for money changes over time during your retirement. So mm. you generally have more needs for income and more needs for resources when you first retire. Uh, because you might still, I mean, I've still got my, my, my two daughters are still at university. Um, one of the, the, one of them will graduate this summer. Uh, the other one will graduate next summer. So I still have some, some fairly significant liabilities over the next few years, which will go away. And that will significantly affect the, uh, the, the income that I 
um, will need in the next few years compared to where I might be in a few years time. Um, so it's not linear. It's not the same. It's not the same. And, and actually, as you get older, experience is that you tend to spend less because you your 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 kind of ability or or wish to do things that involve spending money changes um, and generally speaking people spend less money and uh, which of course it brings on to the the really difficult one is is which i haven't talked about is is how much money do you want to leave and who do you want to leave money to so mm. it's really important to sit down with with a, a good financial advisor and work out all these real lifestyle things almost before you start talking about money because if you've got a clear understanding of that and a clear clear sense of of what you want then you can plan the money around that but trying to plan the money without knowing really what you want you can end up in the situation where either you you uh, you run out of money or you end up with money that you'll never spend um, which is fine if you decide that that's what you want to do but you know you've got to make decisions you know you've got to th- you've got you've got to think it through we we saw a financial advisor based in bristol who was fantastic about that and we spent we spent uh, three or four hours talking with him producing a life plan and we didn't talk about money at all really in terms of investments or in terms of strategy it was more about about what our what our life wishes were mm. i think it it's interesting how you say actually you've needed to keep an eye on the pension and the understanding of the pension all the way through your career. I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with, certainly as a working GP uh, and not having much clue about um, uh, the pensions. I find it slightly daunting. Uh, and I think that's where a financial advisor throughout your career perhaps comes into play more than you realise. And I, I too had heard that that um, interesting concept of a nonlinear uh, need for financial income as you get older and indeed financial advisors saying that there is almost an incentive for you and an encouragement from your financial advisors to spend money as soon as you retire on the things that you really wanted and the things that you really wanted to do um, while you have that opportunity with the expectation that your spending will go down later on and that's quite interesting when you're looking at your lump sum and you know how you would draw down on your pension whether you go for a bigger lump sum or a, or a um or a bigger uh, monthly income so just just quickly before you go into the financial a bit more financial nitty-gritty uh, sources of advice around um retirement obviously you've mentioned financial advisor any other sources of advice um uh, well there, there are there are many i mean the bma um, have uh, financial advisors which are now now being taken over by Chase De Beer. So um, the, I think, and then there are a number of independent financial advisors. The one thing I would absolutely say is that if you do go and see a financial advisor, go and see someone who understands the NHS pension if you've got an NHS pension, okay. because the rules are very complicated. Um, there are numerous things that you can do within the rules of the scheme, um, and. For a, for a financial advisor to give you proper advice, they would really need to understand the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. So um, for someone like me, it's a little bit easier because, because I, 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 you know, I'm the sort of person who, who, who tries to understand these things. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily normal. Um, and so you really do need to get advice from somebody who understands a pension scheme. And in terms of wider sort of practical advice about retiring as a GP, retiring as a doctor... Any 
particularly good websites? Um, BMA one is pretty good, actually, I'd have to say. Yeah, BMA, the Chase Devere is you can register for the Chase Devere newsletters um, without being without being a client. If you're a BMA member, I think that comes with the membership. They run a series of um, webinars and et cetera to give advice at various stages of your career. So that's a good source. Um, so I would say they're good. Um, I think Chase to Beer, they're quite expensive. But you always have to remember that you're talking about large sums. And so what might appear to be expensive um, in a transaction at the time can be money well invested in terms of the quality advice and where you put your investments in the future. So um, cheap financial advice isn't always the best financial advice. Of course, we have some practical advice on our um, website around retirement and uh, and some of the more practical things you need to do in terms of um, performance list um, yeah. stuff. So do you want to touch a bit more on the sort of financial nitty gritty that you've sort of unearthed? Yeah. So so uh, for, for me, it was there were two there were several considerations, really. Um, so I, I don't think I'm, I'm not I'm not going to go into annual allowance and all of the complications of that because that's very complex and and not really related to where we are now, which is the moment of retire of considering retiring. So the first thing is to is to decide when you want to retire. Um, now, well, we we need to to bring that into the discussion on on the pension changes which are happening tomorrow, um, which we'll come on to. But for me, it was about saying, okay, well, when do I want to take my pension? Um, that I'm I'm still in the 1995 scheme, so um, that that has a re- normal retirement age of 60. So if I work to 60, then my pension is what it is on the statement. If I take it earlier than that, then it's reduced by a percentage, and there are tables available which will give you the percentage by month by month of how much your pension is reduced. So there's a little bit of a calculation looking at your latest statement on um, the to- on total rewards or requesting a statement from the pensions agency, um, which you're entitled to, entitled to do at a small fee, um, and, then doing a, and then doing a bit of number crunching as to the effect that taking your pension early will have on the lump sum and also then on your annual pension. So that's the first thing. And then the second calculation you need to do is you need to work out what that converts into your what's called your lifetime allowance. Now, there's a simple sum for that in that it's 20 times your annual salary plus your lump sum. And your lump sum is roughly three times your annual uh, pension. So it is broadly speaking, 23 times your your, um, annual pension. That gives what your lifetime allowance is. Now, when I first joined the NHS pension scheme, the lifetime allowance was 1.8 million. It was then reduced to 1.5 million, then 1.25 million, and now sits at just over a million. So there were some protections available if your um, lifetime allowance would have gone over the threshold when it was reduced. Um, but currently it sits at just over a million. So I managed to get arranged something called uh, uh, I- I income protection 
for my lifetime allowance at 1.25 million. So that set the lifetime allowance at 1.25 million. So that was the basis then of me looking at the numbers, crunching the numbers to work out whether it was more beneficial for me to take a larger lump sum and have less annual pension and how that affected the lifetime allowance. So I'm getting a bit technical here and you might need to speak to a financial advisor or your accountant to, to do this. I know that, that uh, my GP accountant would do this for me, um, but it's playing a little bit of a numbers game. Again, going back to what we first started the conversation, which is how much money do I need and what do I need that money for? So some people might need a bigger lump sum because they might have to pay a mortgage off or they want to buy a boat or they want to do, you know, buy a second home whereas other people might want the income. And the implications of exceeding your lifetime allowance. Yeah, well, that's that's the painful bit, that if you exceed your lifetime allowance, everything that is over your lifetime allowance is taxed at a higher rate. So if you take it as income, it's, it's, there's an additional tax charge of 25% over your higher tax rate. So effectively, you're paying 65% tax on it. So really, when you're paying into your pension, you need to be taking advice t towards the end of your career about whether you're likely to exceed your lifetime allowance and stop paying into your pension before that occurs. Yeah, but the only the only crumb of comfort in that is that when the pension is actually paid, the tax that you owe due to exceeding your lifetime allowance is paid over 20 years. Right. So it's not the big hit of tax, which we've some of us have experienced through the annual allowance change. Hmm. So um, I think I got to a position for me where where I, I am, where I crunch my numbers. I got to a point where I thought, well, I, OK, I'm probably that's what I'm comfortable with, which is going to give me a lifetime allowance charge. It actually was was about 20,000. So effectively, it's a thousand pounds extra tax a year for 20 years. Which, of course, went, and that's not uh, inflated for any inflationary increase like your pension is. Mm. So over that 20 years, that £1,000 will actually be worth a lot less than £1,000. Yep. So it's, it's, it, the lifetime allowance is a lot less of an issue in the short term than the annual allowance. So it's really important to remember that. Mm. Um, and I don't think I would... I would base all your decisions trying to avoid that lifetime allowance charge. But again, this is one area you absolutely need to get advice on it and make mm -hmm. sure you understand the effect and the numbers. Any other top tips? Um, if you're planning to go back to the NHS, if you're planning to work again, be careful of the 24-hour retirement rules. That's the other thing. You really understand that. Um, they changed over COVID. Um, my understanding is they, they're, they're back now or about to come back now. So, which means that you have to limit the amount of work that you can do in the first four weeks after you return to work um, to 16 hours. But, um, but no, you can return to work. And obviously, if you're a partner, um, if you return to work um, and work in the NHS, you need to get your, your partner's ag agreement to take 24-hour retirement. And I hope most partnership agreements would have that in them. Uh, but that's a really important point, that if you are planning to work, 
in the NHS after you've taken your NHS pension, you there there are some some rules that you need to follow and advice you need to get about that. And you mentioned there were some important changes from the first of April in terms yeah. of your pension. Yeah. So when I joined the NHS, I was um, uh, I was put in a pension scheme. It then ended up in a scheme called the 1995 uh, scheme. And in 2008, a so-called once in a generation pension review was done on the NHS pension scheme, which which led to the development of a new pension scheme that's called the 2008 scheme. And everybody had a choice as to whether they stayed in the 95 scheme or joined the 2008 scheme. A couple of years after that, because, of course, the financial crash happened in 2008, um, there was another pension review, um, I think led by Lord Hutton. Um, and as a consequence of that, more changes were brought in and a new scheme developed, which is called the 2015 scheme. But they it was decided as part of the review that if you were in te within 10 years of your normal pension age on the 1st of April 2012, i.e. 10 years ago tomorrow, um, you uh, did not have to join a new scheme. There was, there was some tapering relief for people who were uh, between 10 and 13 years and five months of um, being... Uh, of, and I'll get this right, who, who, were, who were between 10 and 13.5 years, that's right, of, of the, in the 2012 scheme. So I fell into that group. So I had what was called some tapering relief. So I wasn't forced to join a new scheme in 2015, um, but, but that ran out for me in 2018. So I had three years of relief because I was quite close to 50 on the 1st of April 2012. So a court case happened, as you know, involving um, judges and I think firefighters, um, uh, not doctors, and the courts ruled that the Hutton Review was unlawful, direct age discrimination, not for the people who were over 50 and were protected, not for people like me who had some form of transitional relief, but everybody who was forced to move to the new scheme. So they then had a problem in that they had all of these people who'd already joined the new scheme, plus people like me who might have taken decisions as a consequence of being moved to a new scheme. So they decided that the period between the 1st of April 2015, when the, when the current scheme started, and the 31st of March 2022, which is the day that we're recording this, um, was called a remedy period and that everybody could could stay in their scheme that they're currently contributing to and that when they come to retire there is something called a deferred choice underpin which means that you can decide what you want to do with this remedy period at the end when the valuations are clear and that touches on to some of the things we've talked about with the, the lifetime allowance, the various tax implications, etc. because people really can't make these decisions now. So uh, that was, the, that was the, the big change in the scheme. So I'm waiting to hear now 
and apparently what will happen is that the pensions agency will will contact me and ask wh whether I want my benefits after 2018 paid into the the new scheme or whether I want them paid into my existing scheme in 1995 and they will provide me with the information I need to make that decision. Someone like me, someone like me who's a bit younger than um, you uh, and who was forced to join the 2015 scheme without any taper, uh, what will happen to me when I retire is that I will get a some sort of calculation from the pensions agency telling me what would have happened if I'd have transferred over um, or if I'd have remained in the 1995 scheme uh, from 2015 to 2022 and that portion of my pension that was transferred into the 2015 scheme I will have the option of effectively transferring back into the 1995 scheme and that potentially will also have implications in terms of tax and annual allowance won't it so in theory you may have either tax liabilities or or tax refunds based on transferring that money back into a, an older scheme so it will affect a proportion of of retirees that were directly affected from 2015 to 2022 that were effectively forced to join the 2015 scheme without any sort of um, benefits as well exactly and there's sort of two point two further points on it really one is that um all the schemes all the legacy schemes close tomorrow on the 1st of april 2022 so all all pensions that are paid into the nhs pension scheme from tomorrow have to go into the new scheme the 2015 scheme which has a different retirement age to the, the 20 the 1995 scheme and the 2008 scheme mm. so um, it's it's complex it's really messy um but we the key thing to remember is that you do have this deferred choice underpin which means that you that you you they are promising that you will be provided with the information but again it'd be one of those things where you will need to get some advice on it because as you pointed out that choice will affect all sorts of um issues such as tax mm. the other bit just to mention briefly andy is is um there's another section which is called what do they, which is trying to decide what to do with contingent decisions so this, these are decisions that people took, such as leaving the scheme, um, which they only took because they were they were going to be forced to join the 2015 scheme. The BMA are arguing that they, that should be dealt with automatically en masse, that everybody should be given the choice to reverse that decision. Um, but the government at the moment is seeking to prevent this um, and are saying it will need to be done on a case by case basis uh, and needs to be evidenced. So um, I, whether they move on that position, who knows, but that's what the position is now. So if you do feel that you took a decision which you would not have taken without, uh, if that decision had not been made, um, then you should appeal it and it will be looked at on a case by case basis. I think there are a number of cases, uh, legal cases that the BMA are pursuing now, which might um, change the position on that such as that they decide to um, automatically review uh, or give people the options and again I think this is something that financial advisor and accountants very much will be all over um, 
you know when you are approaching retirement um and it's such a complex area that that um as we said consistently throughout this podcast you really do need expert advice and when we talk about expert advice it's experts that are really familiar with the nhs pension because there's a difference between standard financial advice and financial advice that really understands the vagrant vagaries of the um of the uh, NHS pension. Yeah. Um, so, any more hot tips before we before we sign off? Yeah, there's one. There's the dreaded word that you knew I was going to mention at some point, which I, which I feel I have to, um, which is PCSE capita. So, everyone is aware that there are significant uh, issues. Um, with PCSE and with the accuracy of people's statements. There was a Pulse headline I saw last week that there are 20,000 GPs whose statements are inaccurate. Um, PCSE Online, we have a lot of queries about PCSE Online, people saying that the information isn't there, it doesn't work, etc. And I've spent some time recently with one of the consultants who's working for PCSE, looking at PCSE Online, and actually... There are several issues with it. One is obviously the data in. If the data in is wrong, then there's not much that uh, that, that the software, obviously the software is not going to resolve that. If the data is wrong, the numbers are wrong, the numbers are wrong. Um, the one thing I would say about, about PCSE Online is that actually it's not very intuitive to use. But once you get your head around using it, there is actually um, more information there than you realise. So there is a little bit about about having a good look at it, playing and playing with it, rather than just blaming the software. And I, I think uh, that that's absolutely worth doing. I do think there are really substantial issues with PCSE um, in terms of them processing pensions. So um, I think if you do submit your pension forms, be prepared to follow them up and be prepared to 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 um, keep raising queries. The other bit I think that's not understood very well is that um, there are two agencies running the pensions. So there's PCSE and then there's the NHS Pensions Business Service Authority, NHS BSA, which um, confuses things. So if you're currently in the pension scheme, you have to submit your forms via PCSE. Um, And if you're not currently, if you're a deferred member, you submit your pension forms to the pensions agency. And that's form AW8 or AW8P if you're a deferred member. And those forms are available on the uh, NHS uh, Business Authority website. Great. Well, Gareth, that's food for thought. And um, obviously, it's one of those areas that that's never pleasant to have to think about in terms of um, trying to get your head around the pension. But really important take-home message, I think, is don't ignore it all the way through your career. Work with your accountants to check that your PCR information that's being fed in is correct and has been updated. It's much easier to do that as you go along than it is to try and resolve it at the end. Take take specialist financial advice throughout your career, but especially towards the end, and work with your accountant and financial advisor to choose what the best option is for you in terms of your pension lump sum uh, and um, monthly monthly income when deciding on your on your pension um, towards the end, 
And then from a practical point of view, obviously looking at other sources of information around retirement, we have a retiring partners checklist on our website. If you just Google uh, retirement Wessex LMCs, and as you said, the BMA offer uh, good information around retirement too. So I just want to say a big thank you for giving us your lived experience um, uh, and also to wish you a happy and healthy retirement. Thank you. I'm not retiring fully, but um, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting next next phase of life. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. 